This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome to uh, America's Web Radio. This is the Immigration Hour. It is great to be with you. We have a special show planned today because we'll soon be connecting with senatorial candidate Margaret Stock from the great state of Alaska. I'm very excited to talk uh, with Margaret today. Uh, but today being a, uh, a, a secondary uh, Big Tuesday primary, we want to just talk momentarily about uh, how immigration is shaping the debate in Florida and in Ohio. Uh, it's been interesting. I'm, uh, as many of our listeners know, I've been a huge John Kasich fan for quite some time. Uh, and, uh, John has finally has his opportunity today to, uh, show his, uh, show his moxie in Ohio. And I'm hoping that, uh, uh, the governor will be able to, uh, kick some butt. Uh, but, uh, we've just woken, uh, just been able to speak to Margaret and, uh, gonna get her on the phone here in just a second. And I just hope today, even though Marco Rubio is likely to go down in flames, David, that John Kasich can save the day for us and we won't have to suffer through four years of Donald Trump. All right. It's great to be with us. Margaret, how are you this morning? I'm awesome. How are you? It is great. To, um, thank you for getting up so bright and early Alaska time. Hey, what's the weather like there? Well, it is about, uh, it'll be about 75, 80 degrees today with, uh, and beautiful pollen in the air everywhere. Oh, my God. Wow. <laughs> 85. In fact, David's telling me 85. In Alaska, it's probably only about 70 today, I imagine, right? Just uh, that's beautiful springtime. Well, I think we're probably going to hit. 32, maybe. 32, oh, my God. Well, I did say it's colder up in Alaska. Margaret, how are you doing? I'm so excited for your candidacy. I'm excited to host you next week here in Atlanta uh, at our fundraiser. We're inviting, hopefully, lots of people. We can get them excited to come and uh, uh, support your path to uh, to the Senate of the United States. Hey, well, I'm really grateful that you're hosting me. I'm excited to be coming to Atlanta. It'll be a lot of fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. Hey, I wanna, I, we've got you for a little while here, and if you don't mind, I'd take your take your time up. Tell me first, uh, why did you say, you know what, I'm going to run for the United States Senate? Because honestly, anybody who's listening to this program knows I would love to run for the United States Senate, but I don't have the guts you have. Tell us what kind of pushed you forward here. Well, a lot of people came to me and asked me to run. Well, that'll do uh, it. <laughs> that'll you know, do I'm, it. Up here in, I'm up here in Alaska, and uh, I'm 54% of our voters up here are independent. Well, that seems to make we have it... About make it a lot easier to run it without a party, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. I'm a party crasher. Well, uh, I understand that uh, Lisa Murkowski is the sitting United States senator that you're running against, uh, but that she herself did not run as a Republican in her last election. Isn't that right? Well, she she lost her primary to a Tea Party person, Joe Miller. Okay. And... Uh, she then ran as a write-in candidate. There was a campaign organized. It actually, was was not organized by her. It was organized by people who wanted were upset about Joe Miller. Okay. Was there uh, even a Democrat so, running against Miller at the time? Well, it was kind of complicated. It was one of those things. She lost her primary. Uh, she was an incumbent Republican, and she had lost her primary. So people were concerned that. Alaska is uh, 54% independent. Right. We're a little bit different up here. <laughs> now, you're, only, you, you are running as an independent, correct? I am. I'm running with the majority. Uh, with the majority of the state. And even the, even the right. GOP is, I mean, what is their percentage? It's not very high up there. It's not very high. No, we're about 15% Democrat and some 30-odd percent uh, 
Republican, 54% independent. Now, if I also understand, your governor is also an elected independent, correct? Yes, our governor is an independent. We have a long history of independents winning office up here. No, gosh, I wish that was the way in the South, David. I just wish we had that here in the South. We we don't have that here in the South, Margaret. Uh, independents have zero chance of winning anything down here. Well, what excites me about... I know. About, well, independents are really popular in Alaska because we're, you know, we're a very independent-minded state. Well, Alaska has some very unique challenges that the rest of us don't have. I mean, besides the climate issue, of course, oil is a is a big thing up there, and how and how oil and gas are are, are both mined and transported. Uh, but there's other things on, on the electorate's mind up there, aren't there? Absolutely, we're we're having economic problems because the price of oil is so low right now. Mm-hmm. It's it's hurting our economy greatly, and we're concerned about security. Homeland security is a big deal up here. I understand you can see well, Russia from your back door. Wait a second, that was somebody else from Alaska. Who well, that. that's an exaggeration. <laughs> Actually, the correct phrase is, I can see Russians from my house. Oh, is that what it is? <laughs> Russians. Russians. Two, door, two doors down, I have a very nice family of Russians. Russians living next to you who have immigrated to America, legally, I imagine. They have. They've immigrated legally. <laughs> we have lots of legal immigration. Now, the... You know, part of the challenges I want to talk about today, I mean, even though, even though this is the immigration hour, uh, you yourself are an immigration lawyer. You have been a lawyer for a very long time, haven't you? I am. I'm not just an immigration lawyer, though. I've I've done national security law. I was uh, the deputy provost marshal for United States Forces Japan for a while. Okay. Now, uh, Dave, um, uh, my, 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 our director here, our producer here is a uh, uh, big military guy. His son's in the United States Army in Hawaii. I mean, somebody, South Korea. Wasn't he in Hawaii, though? He's in Hawaii. Uh, well, David, I, tell yeah, us about your I, military been, career. David would love to hear about that. Okay, I'd love to tell you about my military career. I, I joined the Army when I was uh, very young. I joined the Reserve Officer Training Corps. I was a re- ROTC officer in college. Uh, and... I was stationed in the in an infantry brigade. I was a woman assigned to an infantry brigade as a young young person. You, and that, well, this is the eighties, correct? Let's be clear about when we're in talking. In the eighties, this yeah, is the eighties. So this is very rare. That's it's called eleven Bravo. Eleven Bravo. <laughs> I had a lot of eleven Bravos in my in my platoon, right? And they were they were quite surprised to have a woman as their platoon leader. They were shocked by this, but. So I was in college, I was an undergraduate in college, and I was a platoon leader in an infantry brigade. Very unusual situation. <laughs> it's very unusual. Now, where, were you, where unusual. were you in college at? Where did you do your undergrad studies? Uh, the only place I got in, Harvard. Oh, well, you know, somebody's got to go there. So you were in the United Somebody States Army at Harvard in the 1980s. Yeah, well, I, I had an unusual career. I was I was homeless to Harvard. I was actually, uh, I had a, a sad story. I, uh... I grew up in a large family. My father died when I was 15 years old, and I was homeless for a while. Uh, we we lost the breadwinner in our family, and then Harvard managed to uh, admit me, even though I was a high school dropout. I dropped out of high school, uh, so I joined ROTC. And while I was still an undergraduate, I had been commissioned as a lieutenant in their in ROTC. Uh, through the early commissioning program. So I was a sophomore in college, and I was lieutenant in the Army Reserve. Wow. The 80s and were a different time. I was in an Army Reserve unit, and I ended up in, in an infantry unit as an Army Reserve officer while I was still in college. So I was finishing my college, and I would 
drive out to the fort on the weekends to do my Army Reserve duty. It's just fast. I'm just, you know, I went to college at the same time, and I'm thinking about the 80s and the military, right, right when Ronald Reagan's building it back up, uh, trying to restore the, the, the dignity of the armed forces. This was a very unique time to be in as a woman, let alone as a soldier. It was. It was really exciting. And so I was a platoon leader in the infantry brigade. All the guys in my platoon were all, they were all men. I had no women. And uh, then I graduated from college, and I got a call from the Army Reserve asking me if I wanted to go on active duty. They were doing the Reagan buildup. Mm-hmm. And they said, Lieutenant, you have a choice, Korea, Alaska, or Panama. What, what's your choice? And I said, Alaska. <laughs> so I went north to Alaska. And I've uh, been here ever since. That's awesome. I met a guy. You, know how you, met, a, you met a guy up here. You met a guy up there. Had a little family up there, I, correct? I met a guy. We're still married. I'm still up here. Now, you, have, you, had, you went beyond Harvard, though. You obviously went back and got a law degree. Tell us about the, the, the furthering of your education. Sure, I'd be happy to do that. I uh, I served in the Army Reserve. I, I went on active duty. I agreed to a three-year active duty tour, and I met a guy, and uh, he was a lawyer. And I got into Harvard Law School, the, the other, the only place I got in for law school. I mean, somebody's uh, so got to do it. I mean, I David's laughing over here. He thinks this is great. To go back to law school, so I, I got into law school. I go back to Harvard. Uh, I stayed in Alaska because I I married this guy. And uh, went back to law school. You know, I also, they gave me a scholarship to get a public policy degree also. So I went back for four years, got a master's in public administration. And I also got a law degree. So I went back to grad school for four years. And I came back to Alaska. I went to work for the same law firm that my husband was at. (laughs) How did that work out? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Right, and I I became a very successful litigator. One of the first cases I handled was a class action lawsuit on a constitutional law issue against the state of Alaska. Uh, Handled it successfully, won it, and I started my own immigration law practice. Now, what attracted you to immigration law? I mean, a lot of people that listen to this show are immigration lawyers. What attracted you to immigration law? I know what attracted me to immigration law. What attracted you to immigration law? Well, I took a pro bono case, Chuck. You know? <laughs> there you go. It's how they, it always, they, it always starts that way. They said, they said, hey, this guy's guilty. It'll be 20 hours. You can do your pro bono service. 400 hours later, I was an immigration lawyer. Yeah, that, that's exactly how it starts with a lot of us. Hey, it's just a simple pro bono he case. Wasn't no guilty. Big deal. I, w- I won the case. The guy was not guilty. The government, it was a crazy case. The government had seized the guy's car at the border. They had accused him of alien smuggling, and it turned out he wasn't guilty at all i ended up winning the case he's now, a green card holder well, that's awesome now th- th- as we yeah. as we talk about your career and you got into immigration law but you also stayed in the military i mean you, you didn't I leave did. the military just a couple years ago no i i stayed in the military i was serving in the army reserve so i never i never quit the military so i had this private law practice where i was doing immigration citizens constitutional law military law and at the same time i was serving in the army reserve so i I bounce back and forth. You know, I I do some active duty, and then I go back in the reserves for a while. Go back on active duty, go back in the reserves, and I kept my law practice going. It was quite difficult, frankly. That, that's quite the balancing act between you do those things. Twenty eight years I served in the Army Reserve. David, is that unusual? David said, "Go." That's a long time in the Army Reserves, isn't it? David, it is, and I I had a lot of different duty assignments. I served in Japan, Korea. 
did some time in Europe every so often, but mainly, you know, I was living in Alaska the whole time, and then I went to West Point, uh, no. and I taught there for nine years. Now, Margaret, you you were never in the JAG, right? No. So you, you were a unique military lawyer who was never in the JAG. Kind of a, a little bit of a sore point. I, I got my law degree, but I never changed to the JAG course, so... It became kind of a running joke at the Pentagon. They had to have a JAG officer tail me around to prove my legal opinions on things. <laughs> now, speaking of that, you were not only at the Pentagon, you were actually near where I grew up in upstate New York for a little while, too, weren't you, at West Point? Well, I was assigned to West Point for nine years. I spent uh, five years full-time teaching constitutional and military national security law at West Point. And then I spent an additional uh, four years as a reserve officer assigned to West Point. Well, I know West Point's a beautiful place, and you love being there, but it's not quite Alaska, is it? It's not quite Alaska, and uh, my husband never wanted to move to West Point. He did not like New York very much. He liked Alaska. There's a lot of us that believe that as well. Those of us even that grew up there said it was a great place to visit, but I don't want to live the rest of my life there. Uh, now, you were in, the, in, in the military, you were actually in the military police, weren't you? I was. 28 years military police. I'm still technically, you know, I'm a reserve officer in the retired reserve. I'm still a military police officer. Now, I and I spent a bunch of time in Georgia. You did? Down at uh, down at Fort Benning or where? Well, I, I'm a graduate of the Benning School for Boys. They joke. Uh, airborne <laughs> school. I've seen the I pictures of you of in your gear, ready to jump out of an airplane. <laughs> I jumped out of airplanes over Alabama. I have my wings. I'm, I'm a Benning School for Boys graduate. Um, and then... I spent time at Fort McClellan also. And then ne your next-door neighbor it used to be Fort McClellan, Alabama, was the military police school. It's now moved to Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. But I did a lot of time at Fort McClellan, Alabama, and I would drive into Atlanta on the weekends for fun. Yeah, yeah, David wants to ask you. He, David is fascinated by this. Since you uh, spent some time at Leonard Wood, isn't it sort of strange driving up and it's all contract on the gates? Yes. Uh, it used to be in the old days the military police owned the gates. Oh yeah, but it's and uh, I was in charge of the gate guard at Fort uh, Richardson, Alaska, for a long time. <laughs> just this is just fascinating to me um, because uh, to, to, to 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 take what you've done in the military and then to transfer it over to the, the one of maybe the oddest specialties out there, immigration law. We want to get to in a second. Mark, we're going to take a quick break here, our first break on the immigration. We're going to come right back and continue our conversation. So we'll be back in just a minute. Break Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules or if you marry a foreign national. Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. This is Dr. George. Join me Wednesday mornings at 9 o'clock for Medicine on Call. On Medicine on Call, we talk about more than medicine. It's about how to take control of your mind, body, and spirit. Si usted tiene problemas con inmigración o asuntos que tiene que arreglar, llama a los abogados de Cook Immigration Partners. Somos en su lado. Tenemos más de 50 años de experiencia haciendo las leyes de inmigración y defendiendo a los inmigrantes. Llámenos hoy a las 404-816-8611, a las 404-816-8611 o al www.immigration.net. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. 
Hey, welcome back to the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. Margaret, you also speak Spanish, don't you? Sí. sí. Yo puedo hablar español un poquito. Hey, well, I, and it's probably not as good as your Canadian, uh, since you're so close to Canada up there. No, um, my Canadian A hey, is a lot that's better. Great, hey, you hoser. You bunch of hosers. Um, now, Margaret, the I understand that Lee Child based his character Jack Reacher on you. Is that is that true or not? I, I don't that's, know if that's true. That's true. Lee, <laughs> Lee Child based his character Jack Reacher on me. Well, no, Jack Reacher hangs out with a lot of women military police officers. He does, he does. So at least one of them must have been based on you. I can't wait to see who plays you in the movie. I, I love those books. They're awesome. They're, aren't they just – you know what I love about them? Because they're so precisely written that you, it just – it, it just sucks you in, and you can't put them down. And they're, they're remarkable. They are. They're a lot of fun. I, I knew guys like like his characters a lot in the military police. I had a lot of fun being a military police officer. You want to talk about that? I can tell you about the time I got accused of police brutality. Yeah, you, you have to understand, David. Margaret is a, I would say, a relatively petite woman. Um, Margaret's not six foot tall, doesn't weigh 200 pounds. She's... So I do want to know how you were accused of brutality in the military police market. That would be a well. There was a six foot six inch infantryman. He said I broke his nose. <laughs> did he accidentally fall on your knee? How did that happen? No, it was, it was a long story. We we you know military police. We were always breaking up fights at the officer club or the NCO club, and he was drunk and he there was a fight over a woman. And he pulled a gun on a guy, and we sent the dog in. The dog grabbed the gun. You know we have these dogs that that are trained to grab guns from people. Yep. So I was the duty officer that night, and I got a call that there was a fight at the the club, and I sent the dog in, and the dog grabbed the gun, and we had a lot of MPs, and we were trying to put the cuffs on the guy, and we had him over a police car trying to put handcuffs on him, and he was quite drunk, and he reared up over the police car and jammed his nose down on the car and broke his own nose, frankly. <laughs> you but I was picking on these big the boys. Thing. So <laughs> the next morning, when he sobered up, he told his first sergeant I had broken his nose. Oh, that must have been pretty good. That that woman over there, that little woman over there, that's who did with the glasses. Yep, she, she said she's the one. She broke my nose. <laughs> I bet she never lived that down. <laughs> well, luckily there were a lot of witnesses, and I I didn't actually touch him at all. I didn't break his nose. <laughs> now, Margaret, this whole idea of of um, running for Congress. Running against a sitting senator, this is a this is a major uphill lift. I mean, I'm sure she's got millions of dollars in the bank. Um, she's clearly a a, a a favorite in in D.C. because she keeps spouting the party line. Um, what are some of the concerns you have about about her continuing as the U.S. senator from Alaska? Well, people came to me and asked me to run, and the reason they asked me to run was they're unhappy with our current senator. And I, I do have to raise a lot of money. She has three million in the bank, so I opened up a website www.margaretforalaska.com people can contribute there and what I'm trying to do is raise a lot of money because she's an incumbent senator but the folks in my state are very unhappy with her they don't think she's representing our state at all what she does is exactly what the party leaders tell her to do she doesn't do what's in the interest of the state of Alaska now I understand that actually came to a head recently when we had the death of Senator uh, of, of Justice Scalia uh, where she initially said something to the effect of, yeah, let's find out what the president nominates, and all of a sudden, bam, she had changed her position literally within hours. That's exactly right. And the Constitution says the president needs to nominate people and the Senate needs to vote on them. It doesn't say the Senate has to confirm them, but they have to vote. Yeah, so that's, that's what I don't understand. Why not have position. the vote? I mean, 
the reality is, Why you don't not? have to approve them. I mean, they, they reject... You don't have to approve the guy. Yeah, right? they reject people all the time. The all the time they reject people. No, that's, that's exactly right. And I, I know this because I actually used to take seminars with Justice Scalia. I've a, a, been a member of the Federalist Society, and he used to teach classes to members of the Federalist Society on separation of powers issues and, you know, all kinds of legal issues. And I'd go to these seminars, and he would tell us, you know... The president has to nominate somebody. The Senate has to vote. You don't have to approve the person, but you got to vote. That's the way the Constitution works. Yeah, I think he was so, probably rolling over in his grave already saying, wait a second, you're not going to vote? I mean, from a strict well, constitutionalist point of view, you have to, you have, to yeah, have a vote. I mean, you, you just have to read the Constitution, you know, the whole entire Constitution, not just parts of it. Not the parts you like only? Because that's, that's kind well, of a problem. Well, that's a problem. I mean, I, I support the Constitution, the whole entire Constitution. All the amendments, not just selected parts. Not, not just the ones you, you like. Is it all of them? Um, all it, of it. I love your picture uh, that you put up uh, on your Facebook page shortly after his death of you and Justice Scalia. That was a terrific picture of you two. Uh, right. I, well, I, I like I said, uh, he, he gave these classes to lawyers, and I used to go to the classes regularly, and I'd listen to him, and he, he's a very smart guy. Oh, my God. I think he was you scary know? smart. He was a scary smart guy. Um, well, that's what they say about me. I, it is. I, well, you are so. scary smart. I don't even get to that part of the show yet. My only uh, chance to meet Justice Scalia was actually when he was getting out of his car uh, in front of the Capitol. He actually had a parking space. I didn't know this, but I was up, was up in Washington, D.C. during one of the immigration lawyers' lobby days, and I was uh, simple, literally walking across from the, from the Rayburn building over to the, um, one of the Senate buildings, the Dirksen building, and as I was walking, there was Justice Scalia getting out of his, you know, his Chevy Impala or whatever it was. He had one of the few parking, this is back when they had parking spaces in front of the Capitol, uh, getting out of his car. I said, Justice Scalia, how are you? He says, I'm fine, young man, how are you? I love that you call me a young man. I was tag gray hair already. Um, well, I've been in I've been in the car with him. I actually uh, went out to dinner with him one time in Colorado, and he was driving. Oh my gosh, what a wonderful experience that must have been! Well, it's fun. He's very he was a very smart guy, and uh, I enjoyed taking classes from him. He had very interesting points of view on the separation of powers issues. But one of the things that concerns me, and the reason I'm running, is the the branch of government that has lost power is the legislative branch. I agree. And they've conceded power to the presidency. And that's not just under President Obama, is it? No, it's it's been happening for years, you know, it starts back in the World War II era with the, you know, the non-delegation doctrine. Right. The Supreme Court said that Congress can delegate its power to the executive branch and that's what they've been doing. They've just been delegating away, and they've basically given up on the job. They don't do their job anymore. They're dysfunctional. And as a result of this, the presidency has become more and more powerful, and it it hurts our ability to have democracy in America, that we have this very, very weak legislative branch now, that you know the people in the legislative branch just do what their party says. They don't care about the fact that they're dysfunctional. They can't pass any laws anymore. They can't pass a budget. Uh, they just don't it, do it, anything. Is that because they they say, well, our party's got to get the presidency because that's where all the power is, so we have to block, if we're in power in the Senate and our, and our guy's not in, the, not, in the House, not, in the, not in the White House, we need to get our guy in the White House by doing nothing until our guy's in the White House. Well, that's what they're saying, but it doesn't work as far as the Constitution goes. You know, we're supposed to have three branches of government, and they're supposed to balance each other, and the legislative branch now doesn't do anything. They just... 
you know, sit there and they blame the president for everything, but they don't do their job anymore. They can't pass a law. You're, you're speaking the gospel to Dave's ears here. I can see him nodding. He said, oh, my gosh, why isn't she our senator? Um, no, it's exactly right. And as a result of this, we have an, an imperial presidency. We have a tendency now to authoritarianism because the legislative branch is so dysfunctional. Well, I think you see that in, in, the, in a couple of the candidates, or at least one of the candidates running for president. Uh, this idea that you can be authoritarian, that that's the kind of president we want, uh, when in reality that's the exact type of president the founders did not want. They did not want that. And you also see it with another candidate. You know, we have one candidate who says he doesn't want to be a senator anymore because it's a waste of time. He only wants to be the president. Right. I mean, that's, that's, that, be, that's dangerous for our republic. It, it is. I mean, I think the, being a senator is a very, very important position in our, in our country, but only if the Senate's actually doing its job in conjunction with the House. Now, I happen to believe that I think we finally have a good leader in, this, in the House that can actually force votes when he wants to, but I think he's made a dangerous compromise up until the next election when essentially they're not going to do any work in the House, essentially. Uh, because nothing's well, going to be able to compromise. Huge, it's a huge problem, and, and that's why I'm running. I want to restore the three branches of government to the point that the founders envisioned. We really need three functioning branches of government. We can't have just the president running everything and an authoritarian president. That's that's not democracy anymore. Well, you know, this all kind of comes... That's the of the republic. This comes to head a little bit. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here for our next break in just a minute or so, but this kind of comes to head in the immigration arena where Congress literally has ceded virtually all power in immigration to the executive branch, at least is in the context of enforcement and discretion. Um, and I want to talk about that in more detail when we have, in our next segment, uh, because I think it really goes to the whole issue of what is the presidency and what is Congress and how they're literally failing in their job. Um, David, can you take a break now? We've got a question. Um, oh, here's one question before you go. Do you think one person could make a difference? One senator absolutely. can make a difference. Absolutely. How? You know, absolutely. One person makes a difference all the time. How's that going to happen for you? How, how, how can you go in? Now, you're, if you get elected as an independent, there are two caucuses in Congress, the Dems and, and, and the GOP. Uh, one of them may or may not, I mean, who knows what happens this election, may have uh, control of, of the Senate. Um, where would you go? What would you do to try to make that, that one person difference? Well, the beauty of being an independent is you can caucus with whoever's best for your state, and I'm going to caucus with whoever's best for Alaska. Which is what we would want you to do. Let's take a quick exactly. break here. That's, we'll be back. that's what an independent is supposed to do. Wait is. a second. Is that what Bernie Sanders did? We'll be back in a second on the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. Si usted ha casado con un ciudadano, o tiene problemas con inmigración, o tiene una oferta de trabajo, llama a los abogados de Cook Immigration Partners. Somos en su lado. Con más de 100 años de experiencia en la ley de inmigración, conocemos la ley y sabemos cómo ayudarle. Llámanos hoy a las 404-816-8611, a las 404-816-8611, o visítenos al www.immigration.net. Whether cruising the strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, 
Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Hey, welcome back to uh, the Immigration Hour with Margaret Stock this week. Now, if you're wondering why does Chuck Cook have Margaret Stock on his on his show, uh, is because uh, on immigration issues, Margaret is the person. She is the genius. Margaret has done more than Obama, more than any other elected official has to help this country on immigration in the last, I think, the last 16 years, the last two presidents. Now, Margaret, I'm referring to something very specific that you've done for the United States military. Uh, and there was actually two different things you did. One is one is called MAVNI, and one is called Pearl in Place. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the MAVNI program and what you did with that? Sure, absolutely. Well, one of the things, uh, after 9-11, we got attacked, right? We got attacked on 9-11, and we wanted to fight back. And in order to fight back against the people who were attacking us, we needed people who spoke foreign languages. Uh, Special Operations Command, they're out of Tampa, Florida. They came to me and they said, hey, we want to recruit immigrants because we got a problem. we got to fight. We want to kill Osama bin Laden, and we need immigrants in order to do this. And they were having trouble. They couldn't figure out how to do it. And I'm the one who came to them, and I gave them a solution. I said, look, there's legal immigrants in the United States. You can recruit them. The law exists that allows you to recruit them. You can make them special operators. They can go to work for Special Operations Command. They're perfectly legal but you've been overlooking them. You haven't been recruiting them. And I gave them the path to recruit people for Special Operations Command for, you know, to fight against the terrorists who are attacking us. And, and, and who, who did we end up recruiting? Who, who, who joins the military of the United States to fight against people that maybe are destroying their own birth countries? Well, people who are legally in the U.S., they came in, they cleared all the security checks and everything. They're, they're going to schools like Georgia Tech. Mm-hmm. We recruited a bunch of students who were attending Georgia Tech who were legally in the U.S., and they wanted to serve in the United States military. We recruited uh, all kinds of folks who were legally doctors, people who spoke all kinds of different foreign languages. We recruited the U.S. Army Soldier of the Year for 2012. He was a foreign student studying computer science from Nepal. Awesome. And he joined the Army, got deployed to Afghanistan, did a great job over there, came back, and then he won the Soldier of the Army competition. David, is that a big deal? David will tell you that's a big deal. That's a big deal, David says. That's a big deal. Now, this is the Mavni. We also recruited the winner of the Marine Corps Marathon, actually, several years in a row now. We've had uh, foreign foreign speakers of Swahili who have... Oh, wait a second. You're telling me he's a Kenyan? He's from Kenya? Uh, yeah, yeah, they happen to be from Kenya. <laughs> they happen to be from Kenya. We them runners. for their foreign language skills, and they just happen to be really damn good runners as well. One of my favorite mementos uh, is uh, from a client of mine shortly after you created the program who I convinced to join the U.S. military. Uh, he's from Russia. Uh, he um, became a special operations uh, soldier. Uh, he's still in, today in the military. He's a captain now in, in, in special operations. And uh, he gave me a whole bunch of special operations coins um, uh, as, as a gift for helping him and, and his wife. And just a remarkable young man. Uh, and so it's not just people who speak Arabic. They could be Swahili. They could be Chinese. They could be Russian. Because how can you compete? How can you go against foreign militaries if you can't understand them, both from a language capability and a cultural capability as well? Uh, 
Well, that's exactly right, and that's I got a medal from the commander of Special Operations Command because he had a problem. He couldn't find enough people who spoke foreign languages, and I was able to show him the pathway to get highly qualified people for the United States military. Um, they're serving today. Um, one of my proudest accomplishments was recruiting the, uh, an NCAA All-American runner from Crimson Tide uh, for the United States Army. That is awesome. That is just so awesome. Now, the other program that, that, you, that you, you created, and it's one when I, when I became ALA president that I touted because I, so, I was so upset at the immigration service for not respecting the men and women in the military uh, and helping their families as they should have. Uh, and these were U.S. citizens in the United States military, and that was the Parole in Place program. What was the idea behind the Parole in Place program for the military members? Well, that's true. That's exactly right. Uh, Parole in Place is a program that benefits members of the military, and the military is just like every other place in America. I mean, you've got all kinds of Americans joining the military, and they have family members who are immigrants. And our legal immigration system is broken. They can't get their family members legal. So you'll have a sergeant in the military, and he can't get his wife legal. And they, these folks are all coming to me and saying, help, help, we can't get our, you know, I'm serving in the military, I can't get my wife legal, what do I do? Well, I realized that Cubans had a solution. <laughs> you know, if you're a Cuban, you can get a green card, no problem. Yeah. They would parole you in, they'd allow you to get a green card. They but sprinkle they magic fairy dust on you and say, oh, now you have a legal entry, right. thank you very much. Exactly. So the law says they can parole anybody into the country. It's immigration parole, it's not criminal parole. Right. And it, it allows the president, Congress has given power to the president in a law, and it says in the law that the president can parole anybody he wants, and then they can adjust status. So I said, hey, we're doing it for Cubans. Why don't we do it for people serving in the United States military? That was it. Was easy. That was it. And, and but it but it was easy to say, but it was very hard to convince immigration to actually do it. The USCIS. It wasn't like, oh, of course we'll do that. It was massive resistance uh, within the USCIS to this program, wasn't there? Well, I mean, there was resistance on one level, but on the other hand, the bureaucrats actually were very patriotic, and they said. You're right. We didn't know we could do this. You pointed it out. You told us we could do this. We want to help our military. You know, the bureaucrats in, in the Department of Homeland Security are actually pretty patriotic. Right, but, but it's the they, leadership that was a problem. Well, the leadership was a problem, yeah, exactly. So I mean, once I, we convinced the leadership, the bureaucrats were very, very helpful. I mean, America's Department of Homeland Security is, is filled with very patriotic people, mm -hmm. and many of them are military veterans. Oh, there's and tons they, of military veterans in tons there. Tons of military veterans. They thought it was ridiculous that Cubans were getting a benefit that was not open to people in the military. And so it, it they was, were quite it, happy to provide the same benefit to military. It was stunning, you know, but we didn't have to convince the leadership. We had to embarrass the leadership into this. They were literally we embarrassed uh, into doing it. Yeah, and it actually started under the Bush administration, yep. the Parole in Place program. But it was very limited, and now President started. Obama has expanded it um, to, to encompass, you know, all family members, including, including parents. Um, and veterans, the family members of military veterans. So yep. we've had a number of military veterans down there in Georgia who yep. have been able to get their wives and their kids legal because of parole in place. Yeah, I mean, it, it just points out the defects that exist within our legal immigration system that you can't immigrate the person you love. You can't immigrate the person well, it, who, who it, birthed It's pretty you. ridiculous, Chuck. Um, and I don't know, did you know, do you ever watch Army Wives? I have watched it on occasion all the time, though. <laughs> Okay, well, we had a parole in place episode on Army Wives. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yep, it featured uh, the, a fictional character who was arrested by immigration, and she was in detention in Georgia. 
Of course she was. At the detention center there. Of course and she then was. she got paroled in place and adjusted status on the Army Wives episode. And they probably you must have advised on that if they got it correct because rarely do TV I shows get this. I was advisor, yes, I admit to that. I was the technical advisor for the Army Wives TV series. Uh, I love that. I absolutely love that. So as we move forward in the campaign, I know you have a big fundraising goal for March. Uh, we've got to get cash in, in your campaign bank, don't we? I do. My opponent has $3 million in the bank, and I have to try to raise as much money as possible in order to to uh, be an effective candidate. And so I have a website, www.margaretforalaska.com. I'm running as an independent candidate, so I don't have the backing of the parties. I'm a party crasher, they call me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm uh, running independently, and I'm trying to raise as much money as I can from people who believe in the Constitution and want the constitutional laws restored to America. They don't like this dysfunction where the parties call all the shots and we ignore the Constitution. Well, I mean, I think it's very important for us to get the word out about that, that this is not a party race. Uh, that, in fact, this is a race uh, that in many ways is is against the party system, that, that has created a presidency that can do things like uh, the DACA, or have to do things like the DACA and DAPA programs. Now, Morgan, I, want, I wanted to get back to this because it's a really important issue for you know four to five million people whose uh, parents were born in the, were not born in the United States, but whose kids were. Um, as President Obama created this program literally out of whole cloth, and it's sitting before the Supreme Court now with oral argument in a month and with a with a decision likely in June. Uh, where do you think this is going to come out, and how does this kind of uh, executive action, or, or, or better said, uh, administrative action by the agencies reflect on Congress's inaction? Well, that's exactly what's happened. Congress has ceded its power to the presidency. The presidency has become all-powerful, but the laws allow the president to do what he's doing because Congress has given him that power, and, you know, that's that's why I'm running. I want to restore power to the to the legislative branch. I want the legislative branch to become effective once again and to be able to pass laws. Right now we have a legislative branch that's completely dysfunctional. They can't pass anything. They, they, they literally do nothing other than name post offices and roads, near as I can tell. They don't do anything except walk around the country, you know, and, and complain about the president, but they don't want, won't pass any laws. And one of the things I want to do if I'm elected is I want to pass laws, and I also want to repeal laws. You know, they have a lot of laws on the books that make no sense. There's over 5,000 federal crimes now. People are breaking the law every day. They have no idea. Oh, no, I mean, Americans, I think I saw a stat recently that Americans on average break three laws every single day. It's at crazy. Least. I mean, at, if you go least. you go dig up a bullet from the Civil War in a battlefield, you're breaking the law, taking your kid out and digging in the ground, you know. You're violating federal law. You're a criminal. It That's is crazy. It just remarkable. Now, I want to get your opinion. Now, Margaret, you're the you're the awardee of the uh, of 2014 or 13 uh, MacArthur 13. Genius Grant, right? 2013. I got the magic call from the MacArthur Foundation. It's like Publishers Clearinghouse. You know, they call you up and they say, "Hey, you're a <laughs> MacArthur Genius Grant winner." Wow. Well, I knew they were considering you because they asked me for recommendations. So, I, no, I, yes, you they, didn't tell me that. I did not tell you that. No, they 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 swore me to secrecy. You're keeping so. secrets from me, Chuck. That's I, not fair. I'm trying. Well, it is fair because uh, I don't know anybody else that deserves it more than you. Because I think you're one of the smartest people in America today, and getting you elected, I think, is important for us as Americans. Because if we had a hundred senators like you, we could actually take back the Constitution. We could make this a true. 
uh, uh, republic again, and we could actually have a very prosperous country um, and uh, without an imperial presidency, without the idea. And the idea, of course, that Obama's king is a joke because Obama's not the king because legislature allowed any president to do what Obama does. When he, when he passes and creates DACA and DAPA, you let him do that. You, you pass the law that gave him the authority to do that, to say now and argue now, oh, you don't have that authority? It's a joke. Of course he has the authority to do that right now. Well, he does, he does have the authority, and it's because Congress passed a law, and they gave their power away to the president. They've been doing that since World War II. They've repeat, repeatedly passed laws giving power to the president. So he's on firm legal ground because they passed a law and gave them gave him their power. Yeah, I think this. I think the United States uh, Supreme Court is actually going to rule that the law is absolutely perfectly fine. Um, and uh, I, I don't even think they could be on standing personally, but uh, even if they do, I, I think it's going to be not only 5-3, I think it could be 7-1 or 8 or 6-2 on the decision. It, it could be. I mean, the, the problem, again, over the years is the Constitution set up three branches of government. There were supposed to be three more or less equal branches. And the, the legislature was supposed to balance the presidency, but they've given away their power to the presidency over the years. The presidency has become the most powerful branch of the government because Congress won't act. And Congress has passed laws giving the president power to do all sorts of things that the founders never envisioned. Well, in the immigration context, which we, we see firsthand, uh, basically the, the executive branch is unreviewable, and they've and Congress actually made their actions unreviewable in all but the most extreme cases, like asylum. Every other they did. Dis- every other discretionary grant is completely, completely up to the executive branch. Completely. Well, that's my point. I mean, they passed laws. They said the president should do this, the president should do that, the attorney general should do this, and they basically they're they're too lazy. They don't want to do any work, so they gave they delegated their power to the president. The Supreme Court has said that delegation is legal, and I fully expect the Supreme Court's going to uphold it because, you know, Congress passed the law. Yeah, and said you could do if it. If the president's got the power, then, you know, the Supreme Court's going to uphold it. Well, Margaret, we got to take one last break here on the Immigration Hour, and we'll be back in just one minute, and we'll do our last segment and finish up. We'll be back in a second. Soy Charles Cook, el jefe del Grupo de Abogados Cook Immigration Partners. Estoy en su lado. Con más de 20 años de experiencia con la ley de inmigración, conozco cómo ayudarle. Sé la ley y sé que alguna gente podemos ayudar. Llámanos hoy a las 404-816-8611. A las 404-816-8611. O visítenos en el internet. www.immigration.net. I'm Marita News, and I would like to invite you to listen live or download my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200, or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. We're featuring the amazing Margaret Stock today, Alaskan Senate candidate. Uh, And, uh, Margaret, you are, are very strongly based in the military. How many years did you work in the Pentagon? 
Well, uh, officially, I was never assigned there. I was an outsider. <laughs> um, but, but. Well, they used to fly me in. Um, I had a code name at the Pentagon, which it was kind of a joke. But um, I was officially assigned to the United States Military Academy in West Point, New York. But I was temporary duty to the Pentagon for about five years. That's just awesome. Now, you've got some serious military reco- uh, endorsements, don't you, for your candidacy? I do. Um, I, I was actually encouraged to run by the commander of the 10th Mountain Division, who had known me for years. He, he was my boss, and he thought I ought to run for political office, and he encouraged me. But he's retired, of course. He didn't encourage me while he was on active duty, because military people don't do that. He recurred, encouraged me after he retired from the military. He's the chair of the John McCain Leadership Institute at Arizona State University. Go Devils! My alma mater. Go Devils, Go yeah, Devils, right, fork them. Right. right, so he encouraged me to run for political office. He thought I'd be great, and he said the reason I'd be great was because I was able to get the Pentagon to move. Um, I was... Uh, you, you talked about it earlier, but I was able to get the Pentagon to do things differently, and that's a big deal. That's you know, a major change. That's, that's, that's like moving a that's moving a, a, a Titanic uh, on a dime. That's a, kind of a hard thing to I, get I do. I have a good story about that. I, I was doing my program, and they told me, um, Margaret, you're going to go on active duty, and you're going to be on active duty until you get this program through the Pentagon. And my husband was appalled by this. He said, well, how long is that going to take? So <laughs> I went to see the former Secretary of the Navy, and because he had worked at the Pentagon. I said, how long is it going to take me to get through the Pentagon with this program? And he said, Margaret, the Pentagon crushes great ideas. <laughs> and if you're not going to succeed, this is not going to work. But if if it does work, it's going to take you at least five years to get it through the Pentagon. Well, I started working on it January 2008, and the Secretary of Defense signed it in November 2008. Less than a year. Wow. That must yeah. have made your husband very happy. He was very happy about this, yes. But, you know, it was it was pretty funny because he, he has no military background, so he, he had no idea how long it was going to take. And I, I, frankly, had no idea. But I used all my methods of strategy and tactics to get things through the Pentagon, and it worked. Well, if you can get something through the Pentagon that fast, you can definitely make changes in the U.S. Congress, who are amateurs I think in democracy. So. I think so. I do have a lot of supporters in the military. They, I worked with folks, and they think I can do wonders in Congress. They say... The Senate needs somebody like me, that I can make change. Well, we need somebody like you that has excellent uh, military and leadership experience because so few of our elected officials in the 21st century have that experience. Uh, And having military experience, Dave and I have talked about this many times on our show, in our presidential candidates, the only, only person running of all, I don't know, 30 candidates that had any military experience was Lindsey Graham. And he was a JAG lawyer. I mean, there's nobody else. None of these guys, unless you count Donald Trump's high school, military high school time, uh, which I I really hesitate to count uh, because it was in the 60s, um, uh, towards any of this. There there is no, there are very few real leaders in the U.S. Senate today. Well, that's true, and that's one of the reasons why I'm running. I've grown frustrated by the fact that we keep electing people to office who have no idea what they're doing. They don't know how to get anything done. And it wasn't like that in the founding days of the Republic. In the founding days of the Republic, they would put people into Congress who were the most successful in their field. You know, and, mm-hmm. and the reason for that is you can't get things done if you don't know how the system works. You, know, you can't fix a car if you don't know how to change the oil. You know? And it, it's one of these things where I, I've got that experience. I know how to make the bureaucracy move. And if I can get into the Senate, I can make it move even faster and more efficiently and serve the American people now and I serve s- my, my state. 
I assume Lisa Murkowski is taking this challenge seriously because there is no Democratic challenger. Is that correct? There's no Democratic challenger, and the Democrats announced they were not running any candidate. Okay, so it's just you and Lisa Murkowski. So far. So right. far. Is there still qualifying period for other people to jump in or not? Well, there is. There's a primary, but the Democrats changed their party rule, and this is one of the reasons why I'm running. They they changed their party rule, and they're allowing independents to run in their primary. So oh. 54% of the voters in Alaska are independents, and previously independents could not run in a primary because the primaries were closed. You had to be either a Republican to run in the Republican primary. You had to be a Democrat to run mm-hmm. in the Democratic primary. The Democrats are only 15% of the electorate in Alaska. It's very, very different from Georgia. Right. So they announced a few months ago that an independent was allowed to run in their primary, and that opened up an opportunity for me to run in the primary as an independent. Well, I don't that have that to also gives independents a chance to see people to see your name before November on a ballot somewhere. Right. So, I think that's vitally so important. So under the new Democratic Party rules, I can run as an independent in the Democratic primary, and if I win the Democratic primary, I'll run as an independent on the general election ballot. Excellent. Excellent. When is that primary? When, when, when is the scheduled vote? It's for in August. Oh, good. So it's even closer to the election. So you've, we've got time to get money, but it's important to, to meet fundraising goals by the end of March because you want to show Lisa Murkowski she's got something to fear. And she's going all over the country raising money, isn't she? She is. Most of her money's from outside Alaska. She, she has not been able to raise a whole lot of money inside Alaska. So she's mostly raising money from outside interests, you know, energy companies and mm-hmm. outsider companies. But I do have a website. It's www.margaretforalaska.com. I am trying to raise as much money as I can. I can take contributions from any United States citizen or any green card holder. Under Federal Election Commission rules, green card holders are allowed to contribute to federal election campaigns. They can't vote, but they can contribute financially. And I'm taking contributions from people all over the United States, including a few people from Georgia have contributed all Yeah, and we're going to get more people from Georgia to contribute. David actually is very excited to meet you when you come here next week. Uh, David runs and owns America's Web Radio, uh, and I'm going to have you talk to him uh, a little bit uh, as well, because America's Web Radio is uh, the most listened to web radio station on constitutional and conservative uh, media out there. Isn't that right, David? Say yes, David. Say yes. yes. Say yes. yes. That's all you got to say. Uh, and David's has a, a huge military base that follows, follows the radio station. Um, but you know, as we, as we move forward, as we as we look forward uh, to the election coming up, do you see a Trump candidacy or a Hillary candidacy hurting or helping you as you move forward in Alaska? Well, it, it helps me in the sense that people are willing to go outside the regular party line mm-hmm. and support a candidate who's going to make change. People are very frustrated with the way the government's operating right now. They're frustrated with the party system. And they want people who are different, people who are outsiders, people who can make change in America, people who can get things done. And that benefits me because I've I've got a proven track record of getting things done, even as an outsider. You know, I've been able to come into the Pentagon and get things done at the Pentagon, even though I wasn't even stationed there. Yeah, you weren't weren't a career career person in that that type of setting. No, you know, I was an Army Reserve officer from Alaska, and I was able to get change accomplished at the Pentagon. Now, when you retired, you retired as a lieutenant colonel, is that right? I did. I'm a retired lieutenant colonel. Technically, I'm still in the retired reserve. That means I get to shop at the, the PX. PX. <laughs> um, I, I don't get any pay because I'm a reservist, so they don't they don't pay retired reservists until we're in our 60s. Um, so I don't get any pay from the Army Reserve, but I do get to shop at the PX. 
Well, that's awesome. Did, will David have to salute you when you come? That's what I want to know. Because I want to be there if he has to do that. Since you're retired, I guess not, right? I'll just bow. Well, he'll, just bow. he'll just bow. He'll just bow. That'll be good enough. Yeah, people still throw a salute my way. I, I have a lot of uh, military people supporting me, by the way. Um, it's It's been heartening. I'm I'm hearing from all my old soldiers in my platoon from years ago. They're very excited that I'm running. They thought I was a good platoon leader, and they go, hey, you were a good platoon leader. You'll be an even better senator. Because I, I, <laughs> it's just like the same thing, but easier. <laughs> now, Margaret, you, you will take large donations, but you'll take $10 donations too, right? I'll take $5 so five dollars. So if you can go to margaretforalaska.com and just put your stuff in, I mean, you don't even have to give as much money as Bernie wants. You know, give five bucks, and you can make a huge difference in the United States Senate. Can you imagine if there was a constitutional scholar, somebody with brains as an independent in the U.S. Congress, to counterbalance the the, the counterweights that are there right now? I mean, the only other independent there that I'm aware of is Bernie Sanders. Uh, who caucuses with the Democrats. Still can't quite figure out how he can run a Democratic primary as a Democrat. But that's just, that's neither here nor there to this show. But you can make a huge difference there caucusing with the party that's going to be best for your state. That's exactly right, and that's my plan. And, you know, the, the problem with American politics today is we've become too partisan. We have these two extreme views on the national level, and we're not getting the work done anymore. So I'm... No party, all work. You know, I've heard something interesting from a couple of people I've talked about giving donations. Well, I don't know where Margaret... I, Margaret's not good on my issue, whatever whatever crazy issue that happens to be. I said, look, your issue is important to you. I understand that. But there's a greater issue here. The greater issue here is we've let, we've let the presidency become so powerful that Congress can't make changes. That your election to the president is now out of your control. And even electing one U.S. senator, one, might not change it on your issue. She might not be perfect on your issue. But she's great on all the other issues that are important to you as an American. So it, 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 it's a slog sometimes to convince people to get off their, their high horse on their one little tiny issue when there's so many more important issues out there. Well, I think that's right. And I believe in the whole Constitution, all the amendments, not just one or two of them. <laughs> you're not just in it for the Tenth Amendment? It's, it's not what you're all about? <laughs> No, I, I am a strong supporter of the Second Amendment, but that's one of the amendments. It's not all of them, and I believe in all of them. The Fourth Amendment, the Fifth Amendment, the Sixth Amendment, the Eighth Amendment, you know, all of the amendments. Because when we amended the Constitution, we did that with, with, with a desire, especially the first ten, obviously, to make sure that our individual rights and liberties were protected. Uh, and when, we, when a Congress cedes power to an executive branch, and not just the president. I mean, the executive branch is far more than the president. Uh, when you've got uh, leadership that are wholly unelected, wholly unaccountable, that do things that harm us every single day, and we can do nothing about it. And we've got, we've well, got to exactly elect people right. that can stop that. That's exactly right. And that's why people like me need to be elected to the United States Senate, because we can make change. If we get into the Senate, we can pay attention to the Constitution. We can follow the Constitution. We cannot, you know, the, the party system right now is broken. The parties have gotten too extreme. And we need to bring independent leadership back into Congress to bring things back into balance, to restore the balance that the founders intended back when they created our great Constitution. Yep, I, I absolutely agree. And one of the problems we see, of course, is that not necessarily in the Senate, but certainly in the House, you have the tail that wags the dog so much. Uh, and uh, there has been very little control in the House to help people get real bills, real laws passed because of the hyperpartisanship. 
Can getting a senator elected help us in the House in any way? Absolutely. It's, it's you know, there's two, two parts to the Congress. There's the House and the Senate. And restoring the balance in the Senate will help restore the balance in the House. But, of course, we need a lot more people to step up. I mean, I'm just one person, but I can make a difference in the Senate. We also need independents to step forward and run for congressional seats as well. Well, Margaret, here's what the deal is going to be. We'll get you elected to the Senate, and then I will run in Georgia as an independent. How does that sound? All right, and I'll come down. I'm coming down there, you know. I'm, I, I'm excited you'll be here next Wednesday. I'm super excited for that. Uh, we're going to have a good turnout. We're going we're gonna to get some campaign cash for you and get you lots of supporters you haven't even known about before. Well, I know a lot of people in Georgia. Like I said, I was down there. I was stationed in Alabama at Fort McClellan, Alabama, and I used to go to Georgia all the time. Stone Mountain, yay. Yay. And hey, so here's what we want everybody, all the listeners. Go to margaretforalaska.com. Make your small or large contribution. Get it online right now, and then make it, make it a, a, a weekly or monthly contribution until we get Margaret seated in the United States Senate. Margaret, with that, we're going to end our show. I will see you next Wednesday. Thanks for being with us today. Okay. Thank you so much, Chuck. I appreciate it. You're welcome. This is Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. Till next week, have a great week, everybody. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.